just read this this morning the mark of a great church is not its seating capacity but its sending capacity that's what we're going to talk about today Christ lives in the heart of a champion welcome to the code of man podcast once again we are back in our studio back from a mission we've been out and about yes we have and welcome back to you, Mr. Easy Target. It's so good to be here. Of course, today. Today, I have to be especially nice and uh, careful at how I treat you. You got that right. I got reinforcements today. We are making Code of Man history today for a couple of reasons. One, it's the second time we've had five people in the studio. Yes. Well, let me add another reason in there. Sec- the second reason is because it's the first time I remember that it sounds like I'm in a barrel. Well, you don't sound as much in the barrel like you did a few minutes ago. (laughs) Okay, we'll scratch that one. And the third reason, or C, is that we have first-time guests, but not just first-time guests, first time in code history, we have ladies in the Code of Man undisclosed location. It has only taken us 110 episodes to cross this threshold, but here we are. (laughs) And so with that being said, we should introduce our special guest, and we'll go ladies first to me because I have to be on my best behavior is Mrs. E.T. Charity Cantrell is here. Hey. <laughs> Thanks for being I, here with I us. I thought you were going to say we also have Mrs. Quiet Man, Kelly Barnett, here today. Hello, Kelly. Hello. And beside her is Quiet Man himself who's been talking. You just couldn't hear him. <laughs> Thank you for having me back. <laughs> I really thought you were going to stop with just the head nod. <laughs> it's it's your third uh quote, appearance on the Code of Man, isn't it? Correct. That we have acknowledged. Anybody would know, yep. yes. But uh, we do have, uh, we've been trying a long time to get Mrs. E.T. on here. Yes, we have. About as long as we've been trying to get Mrs. Napoleon on here. Yes. So, balls maybe, in your court, Napoleons. That's right. Maybe Mrs. Napoleon will come now. But anyway, the reason we have all of you here today is because we're going to talk about the mission trip that we just came back from. And... The idea behind it for me was just, I guess, to say it this way. We all agreed, and and this is uh, five people that were part of an 11-person team. We went to New York City, and our mission this year for this summer was to go to New York City and do homeless outreach. Dating all the way back to months ago when we began to prepare for this, at least a portion of the group in here uh, had some extreme reservations about it. Is that an, am I am I saying that right? Oh yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and all of us had some measure of, oh, how's this going to work? But we've come back from this trip. I think all eleven people would say this was the best mission trip we've ever done. Yeah. And so it felt like a good time to just try to capture this, in in just a conversation about the trip, about what we did and why it worked, what made it work, 
and why it's important that we not only do this for a week or a couple of months of preparing to do something, but how we actually should learn to live mission-minded every day of our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. And I thought, you know, this would be helpful for uh, other pastors who might listen, um, other, you know, other um, mission directors, Mm -hmm. which is a hat you wear. Sure is. Many code listeners. Yes. About three of them would not know that you're also a missions director for the church. There's an awful lot about those three listeners that they don't know about me. But give them time. There's an awful lot you don't know about them. You got that right. (laughs) You can write us at... Code of Man Jim 127 at gmail.com. Hit us up with your calls, <laughs> questions, and concerns. Okay, but don't call by that. That won't you won't get a dial tone if you use that. Google Hangouts. It's a thing. <laughs> so back to what we were talking about. Let me give you one of the one of my favorite quotes about missions that I've ever read, and uh, of from John Piper. This is a this is something that he wrote entitled "Let the Nations Be Glad." But I, I think this summarizes to me what missions really is about. He says missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Now, right there, let me interrupt and say that would shock some people. What do you mean missions? I, I, that's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be doing world missions. Missions is the heartbeat of God. That's right. But listen to this: missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. The reason I wanted to read that quote is because I think that it represents what we experienced on this missions trip. How did our mission produce worship? two things that came to mind, and then I just want to open up the the floor with some discussion, but I think about when we saw the tears in the eyes of the men and women that we ministered to, there was was glory being brought to God in that, and that's the thing, that's what worship is. And I was thinking about our, when we had our team meetings every evening, and and the, the team members were giving testimony of what they had experienced and what they had saw during the day. God was being glorified in that. And you see, so the mission mm-hmm. produced worship. The mission produced the glory of God. And if that becomes our ultimate goal, I mean, just kind of laying a maybe a foundational first point, then our missions will be successful. And a mission-minded person is a person who seeks to glorify God every day in what they're doing. And so we are by no means experts on missions and, and taking the team to the field to do missions, but given that we felt this was so successful, we thought it would be a good time to just bring everybody in, or at least those we could fit in the room, and uh, talk about what made this work so well. And I want to say, first of all, it was the grace of God. Mm-hmm. Is that right? How did, how did we experience or see the grace of God in this, this mission as you look back on the trip, the preparations, whatever it was, how did you see God's grace at work here that made this not only doable, but successful? I think by not overwhelming the team when we got there, like everybody was scared of what they were going to encounter and everything. And while we definitely did see a lot of darkness and saw those people that are overcome with a lot of bad spirits, most of the people we met were really nice and accepting and friendly. Mm-hmm. We didn't really have any encounters that would scare us away. I guess what you're saying there is is God's grace was, well, there's a word that we used and talked about some. God was shielding us. So his grace was shielding us in that. By the way, before you go forward, to say in Acts chapter 14, when 
it, it talks about uh, the Paul and his mission team being sent out. It says that thence they sailed to Antioch from whence, listen to this, they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they had fulfilled. And if you remember, when we before we went out, the thing we did was we had the church pray over the team and actually do that, actually recommend or commend, commit the team to the grace of God. And so what we did, we did this mission inside of God's grace. So again, how do we experience that? How do we see that? God shielded us. What else did you experience? God gave me a peace talking to him. I wasn't having to worry, you know, about the safety reasons and all the other scary things that I was going to be scared of and getting out of my comfort zone. But he just gave me a peace to be able to talk to him and pray with him. Mm -hmm. So is that something you're normally naturally gifted at? No. So that, that would be grace? Yes. Right. Perfect example. God equips us to do what we do not have the ability to do ourselves, which, again, you know, that is that is a definition of grace, his favor on us. So there's another word that we talked about. He strengthened us for the task that we had. For me, as one of the, the team leaders, it was it was the grace of God to have clear direction because there were so many unknowns with this type of trip. You know, we weren't partnering with necessarily a local church on the ground that was going to take us around and show us where to go and all of that. But just to be able to have the clear direction of open doors and, okay, well, we're going to walk here. This seems to be, you know, there's there's some potential targets here that we can come and engage with. And then just to be able to, to walk confidently knowing that our steps were being directed. It was definitely, we weren't, wander, we weren't wandering around aimlessly, in uh, other words. It's almost like we planned this or scripted this. We did not, but you just gave that third word. So pressure's on you, Kelly. <laughs> but uh, not only did God shield us and strengthen us, but he shepherded us. You know, we, we, we gave ourselves to the lordship of, of Jesus every day. We sought to consecrate our, our steps to mm-hmm. him. And I think we all really experienced and felt that, aside from the fact that you and I had to sometimes pull out maps. I mean, once or twice we had to pull out a map and figure out how do we get turned around. But most of the time we were square on, spot on. And a lot of times, though, pulling out our maps wasn't because we got turned around. It was just ensuring that we were still on path or still on track. Or because we had accomplished the task where we were and we were looking to see how do we get from here to the next location. Exactly. I think I saw God's grace and the compassion he gave our entire team. You could tell everybody was just filled with love for these people and outpoured themselves on the streets and continued even after the mission was per se over, you know, everybody kept showing their compassion for the people. And and I think uh, probably one thing that would help those who might be listening now and are saying, okay, you went to New York and you did homeless outreach and you're talking about what, what did you actually do? Because I guess we didn't take time to really explain that. And I know our folks that you know, or around the, the code, the undisclosed location, our church, they know what we were doing. But I think we've got about four listeners that aren't a part of our, our little world, and maybe they want to know. We picked up one more from five minutes ago. No, no, no. One of those four knows about oh, you, oh, but okay. they don't know about the mission trip. Gotcha. Yeah. Remember what I told you this past week? Any time you think <laughs> I made a mistake... You're wrong. <laughs> You're wrong. Yeah, the guy right. on the subway got a big kick out of that, too. <laughs> he did. So... We took, again, 11 people to New York City. But here's what we need to do. Let's, just, let's describe the trip, okay? So 
if you were going to describe the trip to somebody, you're, you're at a family get-together, you're talking to your neighbor that lives across the road, and they said, oh, what did you do? Where did you just come back from? How would you describe it? What, what, what just happened? Came back from New York City, handing out care packages to the homeless on the streets. To be uh-huh. a minister of them, like to help them. And then words of encouragement and <laughs> hope. And praying with them, yeah, talking praying. to them, letting them know that we care about them. Mm-hmm. Showing God's love. So the big thing, I mean, we went to New York City, and we were engaging with those that typically have no engagement. We were trying to just, we had we had some care packages, some, some essential items in there that basically served as icebreakers. They were conversation starters to allow us just to, as much as they were willing to speak with us, whether it was 30 seconds to a minute or 5 to 10 minute conversation, with the hopes of being able to provide some hope and some encouragement provide scripture but ultimately leave them with a time of prayer and and reinforcing of of what it is that we had just spent the time talking with them about so charity your word that you were using was that we went and we ministered to them right and and that is the that's the definition of missions because I, I was looking this up a contemporary definition of mission the word mission because we say we went on mission and we are trying to live on mission. Well, what does that mean? Well, a contemporary definition of mission is an important assignment carried out for political, religious, or commercial purposes, typically involving travel. And the synonyms are great. You know, an assignment, a commission, an expedition, a journey. All that's true. But the New Testament definition of mission, let me give you a couple of words. First of all, the word mission is not found in the English Bible um, I mean, some Bible versions probably use the word, but in the King James Bible, I don't even know if mission is used, uh, that English word. It comes from the Latin word uh, missio, M-I-S-S-I-O. It parallels with the Greek word apostolo, or apostello, I guess is the way you would say that. So that is one who is sent. And what that represents, again, the church coming behind uh, the team and and commissioning us and supporting us and providing the means to do it. But another word that might get overlooked sometimes, and I'm coming back to what Charity said, is a word that we translate often as deacon or minister or servant. And it is the Greek word diakonia, and it it literally means ministry. It means to minister. It means to attend to someone as a servant. And what we did on the streets of New York City was precisely that. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty pleased that when we came back, and I don't want to speak for everybody, but no one has approached me and said, how many got saved? Yeah. Anybody get that question? Mm -mm. No. I'm pretty encouraged by that. Oh, why? Because you don't want people to get saved? (laughs) Well, no, but because I understand something about ministry. We had easily over 200 engagements on the street between the 11 members of the team. And, you know, if we would have, if we would have taken our Romans road and four spiritual laws and, you know, don't you want, do you want to be saved and go to heaven when you die, we could have come back with a whole bunch of professions of faith. Absolutely. But instead what we came back with was the realization in our heart of what God had done in ministering to people. The goal being, the ultimate goal being the glory of God, the worship. And the, the belief that somewhere along the way, somebody's heart got opened up yeah. to the gospel. So how many got saved? We will see. See, I actually feel that 
I actually feel that we have more open doors because we didn't go in with the stereotypical, do you know if you die today, you go to heaven? Because I sort of felt like at first people were kind of guarded. Like they were appreciative of the gift, but it was almost like, what's their angle? And then the more that we talked with them as just normal people, the more that those walls fell down and then they would open up things. So it was almost as if we would have gone in guns blazing like, okay, we're going to get them down the Romans road. We would have saw a lot more resistance of, okay, yeah, thank you for the gift, but I'm really not interested. Whereas we were actually able to get engaged much deeper because we didn't seem like we were trying to sell them something. And here's the thing. We didn't have a lot of time with people. Mm -mm. And so I can hear the person right now who's thinking. I can hear the thoughts in your mind. You're thinking, yeah, you don't have much time. You've got to get them the gospel. You've got to lead them to Jesus. You've got to, you know, but the problem with that is that's assuming that we're the ones that are going to save somebody. Right. We're we're assuming that it is our, our technique of witness that's going to bring them to Christ. Remember one of the, the, Verses we looked at, I, I don't know if it was on the mission trip or during some of the training before we left, but where Proverbs says, he that winneth souls is wise. Did, was that on the trip, or did, did that just me and you having a conversation? No, that was, I, think one was, I think that was our training. Okay. Anyway, we, we've, we've all heard it all. Like, well, get out there and win souls for God. And the interpretation of that is go out there and lead them to Jesus, get them to make a profession of faith. But what we understand that scripture is saying to us is win that person's heart, win their soul, win their soul to yourself by your kindness, by your love. And what that does is it begins to open up the heart to the grace of God. And so as we walked away, we left something planted in the hearts of those people. Mm-hmm. That, that's what the mission was all about, ministering. So let me, ask, let me just ask a question now. I'm going to turn this over more to your conversation here, just among the four of you especially. What did you do to help prepare you individually. And, and again, you know, I guess we didn't highlight this earlier, but we got two, the two couples that went on the team, two married couples that were part of this mission trip. So what did you do either individually that you can share or as a couple, what did you do that helped you prepare for this mission trip and or keep you focused during the week on mission? We actually, um, there were some things that we cut away. Like one thing in particular, we're sort of in the middle of a house hunt right now literally the saturday before the trip charity and i who is sitting across the table from me right now we went and put an offer in on a house the saturday before the trip a seller accepted a different offer no big deal but what we noticed was in the days leading up to the trip we were spending an awful lot of time just scrolling through realtor looking at different options and, and different things like that and we noticed all right this is getting us off focus we're 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 not able to give our focus and our attention towards the mission that we're getting ready to go on because we're distracted by this that yes is important but it's not it's not the critical important thing right now there is something that is more deserving of our attention right now so we just decided all right we went we made the offer the rest of this week we're not we're not even going to check to see what pops up on the market we're not going to you know reach out to our realtor and and see if anything is available or anything like that. We're just going to lay all of it down so that we can focus completely in on the trip because we didn't want to be distracted by things back home or possibilities or I wonder if this will still be available when we get back or anything like that. So we just decided, hey, we're going to lay it aside and we're going to cut all of it, all of that off for the week so that we can stay better focused. Yeah. And I mean, we also cut back um, TV a lot and stuff like that. I know I um, went off social media for a while 
and which was a big help. And then I think the main thing was that I'm super negative and I was really scared about the safety aspect of the whole thing. So I cut off listening to my crime podcast, <laughs> which um, which <laughs> helped me the, a lot. Ease the mind a little yeah. bit. Yes, that helped a lot. But now you're back on the crime podcast. I have not and, yet. And all the stories are about New York City. And <laughs> <laughs> no, not yet. So that, so clearly some separation, some cutting mm-hmm. some things out were part of your preparation for the trip, right? Yeah. Um, Kelly, Nathaniel, any? Well, kind of echoing what Charity said, I started the months leading up cutting out social media, and then as we got closer, completely just cutting it out, and that did This is why focus. I've been getting less likes on my Facebook. I'm just kidding about that. <laughs> I never liked it to start with. <laughs> Neither did I. <laughs> well, we also cut out TV the week before, which gave more time for being in the prayer and Bible and stuff, but even just like at nights, just going to bed. I mean, we'd be in bed by like 8 or 8.30 each night and just reading or just getting a lot of extra sleep, which just helped with a lot of things, I think, just clearing your mind, being peaceful. Yeah, so I, I, I'm glad you said that because if we talk about the aspect of fasting, which is really what we're talking about here. So fasting is not always just cutting out food or certain things, you know, certain things you might drink or eat, but it's, it's cutting out or, or abstaining from anything for a spiritual purpose. You, you fast unto the Lord. So what you did, you cut out some things and it was unto God so that you could create space in your life for God to come in and, and give you more, fill you more, teach you more, calm you more. And so that was part of the key preparations of going into uh, this this week. And so what about during the week while we were on mission? I mean, it was a busy week, and we were on the go a lot. We had not extremely long days, but even though we were out probably seven, eight hours a day, um, it, 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 was, it was very demanding. It was demanding physically because of all the walking. It was demanding emotionally, mentally. So what did you do to sustain a mission mindset during the week? My prayer life throughout the day definitely increased because, you know, I would find myself, all right, I'm, I'm getting tired. I'm, I'm getting drained. I'm trying to lead these people. They're looking for, okay, where's, we got to go here. And so I'm carrying that. Uh, we're, try, we're trying to see where he's leading us. And we got we got to get going here, there, and yonder, and then trying to engage with the homeless. And so there was all of this mental fatigue. And I, by nature, get irritable when I'm tired, and I don't showcase it to everybody. That, that never happens to me. I <laughs> I wish you'd had time to explain what that feels like. Yeah. But, but Can I explain don't. it to you? Um, but but and I'll I'll get very short tempered, and I would I would start feeling myself like, like ready to like snap. And there were a lot of times where I'd say, okay, Lord, I, I need you to strengthen me. I need you to give me the energy. I need you to clear my focus because I don't want to allow my irritation to hinder the trip, to hinder the mission, to get somebody else like, oh, man, we were enjoying the goodness of the Lord, and what's this guy's problem? And so so I definitely had to increase an awful lot of, of prayer throughout the day to stay focused. Okay. When did you do that? When would you do that praying? Peel off, take about two hours by myself right there in the middle of Times Square. No, most of the time it was walking. Like yeah. it would be when I would feel the irritation flare up and it was just, I wish I could say it was immediate, you know, irritation, prayer. But normally it would fester for a little while and it would be like, I, I can't feel like this. Lord, 
I give this to you. I, I need you to help me to combat this because I don't want my irritation to be a stumbling block. And it was normally something as as quick and brief as that because we were on the go. I didn't I didn't have a place to stop for a 10 to 15 minute isolated prayer meeting and in a city of however many million people, not really a lot of isolation anywhere. So And what I hope that 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 anybody listening to this right now, whenever you listen, I hope what you're hearing or what you will get out of this is our Kind of where we're taking this to, the final point, is that this is not just about that week. Mm-hmm. This is about how we ought to live our lives every day. Now, you might not totally cut out you know, social media completely. You might not totally cut out television and all, all the time. But you can make that a, a practice. You can trim down. You can, you can understand that there will be times, there will be certain days or certain, certain missions mm-hmm. that you'll be involved in in a week that, hey, this will be a good time to practice some of that. I need clarity in my heart. And then learning to pray without ceasing, because that's exactly what you just described, this unceasing prayer. What you do when you, when you, when you create this, this life where you are constantly denying the self, or at least working toward it. Now, none of us have perfected that, but we're working on denying the self and emptying the self, and we're seeking God. Just a daily basis from morning till night, what we're doing is we're creating a life that is a life of prayer so that my thoughts become as prayer, my meditations, my focus becomes as prayer. This is, this is really the kind of Christian life that Jesus has made possible and the Holy Spirit's trying to direct us mm-hmm. to. So again, I, I just want the listener to, as you listen to this experience of this week, this is really what we're being called to on a regular basis. So what else? What were, what were you doing that helped sustain you uh, during the week? For me, I think it was the environment that I, that we were all in was the most difficult part. So, like, all the sirens going down the road, the honking horns, moving out of people's way, getting bumped into, always be on alert. So many times we'd be walking down the street, and I'd be walking beside Charity, and I'd just go, ugh, like, out loud. And she's like, what? And I'm like, I'm tired of hearing sirens and honking horns. So I just had to practice that outward confession and, you know, get it out. So what's the – what? What's the difference between complaining and confession? Can you can you answer that? Well, I think with the intention that you're you're saying it so that you know you need the Lord's help with it. Perfect, and, and because sometimes that's it, it's motive. In other words, like where's that coming from? If if it's a decisive response, if I'm responding by acknowledging and saying out loud, "This is my struggle." Oh man! But if I'm just reacting out of this emotion of, I can't stand these people. You know, that's complaining or whatever. Right. Uh, and I, so I wanted to clarify that. I knew you knew, but I wanted to clarify it for a listener, that power of confession, of just acknowledging and admitting it to your your fellow, you know, your brothers and sisters, hey, this is what I'm dealing with and struggling with right now. And, uh, and, and, and you said, I don't know if you said it now, but I heard you say the other day, it sort of took the, the control of that away from you. Mm-hmm. Like, you had to do it one time, right, and it was done forever? No. <laughs> it took multiple times. Multiple times even in the same day, right? Oh, yeah, all yeah. throughout the day. But but if you hadn't have done that from the heart with the right motive, if you hadn't have confessed it, it would have it would have just kept pressing you down, and it would have got worse and worse and worse. Mm-hmm. Okay? What else? So we had unceasing prayer and confession. What else was helpful? Well, I think it also helped because I know you taught on that in the training prior. So I even started um, telling like specific ladies in the church, like stuff I was struggling with going into the trip. And so it was, it was nice to be able to do that because it shouldn't be that awkward to talk to other people that are 
you know, Christians like you, but it is, I don't know, I always have an awkward time with it. So it was nice to be able to do that. And then for them, like, as the week went on, for them to text me specifically, like, hey, I'm praying for you for this specific reason that you told me. Mm-hmm. So that was an encouragement. I'll jump in with one, by the way, here um, that, that was really key that translates into what we should do on a regular basis as well. And that was coming in every day from being out on the city, in the city. Uh, one of the first things I would do after, after having my cold, uh, what do you call those drinks? Smoothie? No. <laughs> the uh, sparkling ice. I had my ice cold sparkling ice, classic lemonade, strawberry lemonade, whichever one I had. And I would just cool down because, you know, it was hot and we'd get cooled off. But I, I would look for that first opportunity to slip away to my room and just get in, in, in my room alone with the Lord and just pull out a pen and paper and just kind of reflect on the day and capture the things that I had experienced. We're going to call that process it, just processing the day prayerfully, processing the day with, with the Lord, like a, a debrief with Jesus, we call it call it that. And that it's literally just that. It's like getting alone and saying, Lord, I'm here. I'm here to be with you. I'm here to think through this day. What did you show me today? What do I need to remember? And then, you know, as the the one who was sort of the giving the spiritual guidance and, and direction of the team while we were there, I would even ask on behalf of the team, Lord, what, what do you want me to share with the team to help get us all to process? So that, that daily processing of the day. And I want to, so here's a confession. I'm not as good at that on a regular basis. Like I was driving in here this morning, and I told I told my wife we were talking about evening prayer, and and I said, you know, it's so weird how I struggle with this evening prayer time. Not that we're not having it, but it's just sort of very brief. And but getting to that place where it's as enriching as my morning prayer time is seems like such a challenge. But I, I think it's because I rush, rush, push, push, push till okay. Now it's time to go to bed, and I'm tired. And it's, it's, it's backing off of that and creating that space for that reflection. It worked on the mission trip. It was needful. It kept me strong in the Lord. And it's something that I need to get better at practicing on my day-to-day life. Yeah, the team meetings were great. I really loved them. They went really long most nights, but it was good to just share your experiences with everybody. Mm-hmm. They went long. Did you feel depleted by the meeting or refreshed by the meeting? Definitely refreshed. Yeah. Anything else that was helpful during the week? Anybody? I was going to share the team meetings again, but I think just a combination of having more time in the mornings, like setting that time aside, then the team meetings in the evenings. Just like the team meeting, a lot of times if you don't have the meetings or something in the evening, you'll come in from the day, you're tired, and you just kind of shut off everything and forget about it. But the team meeting helped keep you focused. So you're focused in the morning, throughout the day, and then the team meeting helps you carry it over till the next day. I think one of the big things that that I'm hearing and you know we noticed before even too is the value of of team going throughout the day and and staying strong staying resilient and all of these different things we can't do this by ourselves. and so the 11 of us that were literally on the mission we had good team unity we had good team cohesion but then the value of having having a church behind us that was part of the team as well that you know like Charity said, was sending those text messages of specific prayer and encouragement, the ways that we were able to encourage one another. Launching forward, the more things that we do together, the more missions that we engage in, the more that, that team 
camaraderie builds, we're able to encourage one another more and we're able to motivate one another to continue forward. So uh, just kind of recapping what was just shared, prayer, you know, just having that unceasing prayer, the confession, the, the, the discipline of confession, of confessing your faults one to another, very powerful at freeing us from being bound by the frustrations or whatever, um, reflection, and if we want to use a, maybe a more classic spiritual discipline term, meditation, mm-hmm. which was done individually but then done corporately. You know, and so again, how, do, how does this apply? Well, as a family, learning to apply this, these things. And then the fourth thing was just that communion that you were just highlighting and, and Nathaniel was highlighting in talking about those team meetings, that team cohesion, but then being engaged with the church back home while on the mission. So just keeping that connection with your, your brothers and sisters who were the senders, if not the goers. Right. So those things are very important. And again, look at how that, that works in our day-to-day life because we also want to live mission-minded. So very, very helpful. Um, in, in, in any other practical terms, I mean, what, what, what would you say would be to maybe a pastor who's thinking about taking his church on a mission trip what made this successful for us? How did What made this work well? I don't necessarily think it's an absolute that you have to live together in a house. I mean, it would have worked in a hotel, but I think it definitely helped just being able to see each other still, like not getting back, going to your separate rooms and not seeing each other till 7 o'clock when we had a team meeting. Mm-hmm. We were able to talk kind of in between and share some different things and like stay in that mission mindset. That's a good point. I haven't really thought about that, but that's true because one of the reflections was that you know, that these team meetings were were really, um, I don't remember, I think it was you that said it, uh, Kelly, but I don't remember the term that you used, but these, uh, anyway, th- th- they were just better. Like as opposed to when we went on a mission trip last year, and I think you just nailed it. You know, a lot of that was when we got back, we all had our separate rooms, and we went to our separate rooms, and then we just had a, well, let's all meet again at whatever time. And, uh, you know, I try to, I try to stay engage with everybody around the clock but it's hard to get other people to do that so mm-hmm. you know, the struggle is real the struggle is real <laughs> <laughs> so i well, i guess i should confess now that that's not true i i enjoy going to my room and getting away not because i don't like people but you know i'm a man who enjoys um his solitude and his privacy yes a <laughs> shout out to old pyro bob there anyway give us an example give us an example of an engagement you had on the street that you're going to carry with you, if not for, for the rest of your life, certainly for a long time, where you just sensed God was there. And maybe it was the impact on your heart or the impact on the person. But give us an example of what that experience was like. Walk us through that. I think one of the biggest ones was the a lady named Lisa that we talked to the last one. Um, Corey and I had the chance to talk to her, and she was just talking about how bad her life was and how she just wanted to give up and um, everything, Corey began to tell her that God loves her, and she just began to weep. And I felt like the Holy Spirit was telling me to give her a hug, and I don't, like, I mean, I guess I'm, I don't really like hugging people. <laughs> I'm not a very touchy person. Everybody in the church knows that. You they like people. She likes to get together, but she just wants to keep you at an arm's length. Yes, yes exactly. <laughs> yeah, Kelly touched me the whole week, but anyways. Um, so I felt like the Holy Spirit was telling me to give her a hug, but, you know, all these things, thoughts were coming in my head you know all the reasons why I probably shouldn't do that or just the uncomfortableness of it but at the end I asked her to give me I mean I asked her would it be okay if I gave her a hug and she said yes and I did it and I don't know how much 
it helped her or encouraged her, but it was just, it really encouraged me and it was a blessing to me just, just doing that for her. That was the one that Charity just mentioned was definitely the big highlight for me. But another one where I, where I really felt that God was there was the first guy that I talked to of the week. His name was Weston and sort of got the sense that he, he may have been on something. He, he was just kind of talking to nobody when I first walked up to him and even while I was talking to him, but super friendly guy. But it was more the things that he said, which reminded me of my personal time with the Lord that morning, that the lights didn't really connect until I got into the evening in my reflection time. But I had read in Second Corinthians that morning about how we are a sweet savor to everyone of the knowledge of Christ. And that was my prayer that morning. Lord, I want to be a sweet savor. Everywhere that I go, I want to be a sweet savor. And Weston mentioned probably five or six different times throughout the course of our conversation about you know, how much he loves Christians. He's not a Christian himself, but he loves Christians because they're the only faith that actually comes out and lives out their faith, and that you can tell a true Christian because they do things like y'all are doing. They're out here loving people. They're out here not trying to do anything. They're not out here trying to build their own name or their numbers. They're just they're just loving people. And after that conversation, it was like the Lord showed and said, see, that's the sweet savor. You came out here in genuineness. You came out here for no other purpose other than to magnify Jesus, and his name was magnified. That's the sweet savor. And so it, it served really as a launch pad for the rest of the week of, okay, Lord, that's what I want my prayer to be. I want every interaction, whether they receive the care package, whether they don't, whether they're friendly or whether they're rude, I want to know that my motive was to be Jesus to them, and that, that impacted I think there were so many you could choose from where you saw the Lord in the encounter. But one for me that um, really stuck out was when Charity and I talked to a lady named Raka. We both talked to her separately at first, kind of went up. We didn't know that each other had talked to her. But later on, she had moved over to a table with a bunch of other people. So we were going to go over and talk to the other people. And when we got over there, she asked if she could write down a prayer request in a notebook. So Charity gave her her notebook and wrote it down. And... We didn't even read it. We had just asked her if we could pray with her over it, but we didn't know what it was at that time. And she said, no, we're kind of in the middle of something. So we didn't pray with her about it then. But then later on, we read it, and it was a prayer request for her depression and hopelessness. And it was kind of like awakening of these people are really broken, and they really need the Lord's help in their life. It's interesting. I don't know. I've heard you tell that story, but I didn't catch the name before because it made me think of that you know, Jesus talks about that in Matthew of not to, you know, not to call someone Raka, which we would interpret as fool. But I just had to quickly look at the, the, the definition of that, that word. And again, that might not be, a, but just for application, it means empty. And, and you think about that. I mean, we, we certainly saw a lot of people with some emptiness in their, their soul, in the deep heart. And they might be pushing carts around the city or carrying bags around the city, collecting a bunch of stuff, but on the inside, without Christ, they're empty. So again, as E.T. said, we were we were trying to be Christ, to bring Christ into that empty place in their life. Mm-hmm. That makes the difference. Speaking of names, uh, I had a guy, this name was Creature. Now, it wasn't his real birth name, I'm, you know, I'm sure. Uh, he said, everybody calls me Creature. And uh, he... he he was uh he was tattooed up all over face everything but just tears as I, as 
I would say as I talked to him, it actually wasn't as I talked to him. It was as he talked to me, and I just listened. By the way, to the listener, let me say, one of the greatest things you can do is is just listen. I don't remember. I read this this morning, too, and I don't remember who it was that said this, but there was a lady that made this statement. One of the greatest things you can do for anybody is to let them know, help them know that they're not alone. And I thought, well, that that's what we did. People this past week knew, at least for a while, they knew I'm not alone in the world. Somebody cares. And ultimately, we're, we're believing that they will see and know that God cared enough to send somebody. Right. I think one of the big things for me was just seeing all the smiles on their faces. They were just genuinely happy you were talking to them and asking them how their day was going because everybody in society does their best to ignore them. Just genuinely happy that you're taking the time to show them kindness. It was almost like they were shocked when we handed them the care package and kept talking and to then them. kept talking to them yeah. like they like it was their default reaction to be like, okay, thank you yeah and, and then, as opposed to I'm sorry well, I was just saying that it was like, oh thanks and then oh they're they're gonna keep talking to me oh yeah. oh okay, wow uh, yeah. As opposed to when Miss Kelly gave a five dollars to a lady <laughs> <laughs> sitting outside a church reading her book. And, and who gave that to you? Okay, yeah. And, well, Pastor handed me the $5 and said, here, go give it to the lady. And as I got closer, I could tell these were her grocery bags that she was carrying. <laughs> she had some peanuts and popcorn. And I was already bent down but to give her the money. in my defense, I had both Kelly saying, I want to give out money. I want to give out money. And the people that need it. Another member of our team named Holly, who we have now designated Little Holy Ghost, who was saying constantly throughout the day, well, this is why we're here, isn't it? We, you passed a homeless person. Literally, she's come up beside me. I'm talking about minutes before that engagement with the lady reading her book. Holly comes up to me and says, um, we just passed a homeless person back there. Are you out of money? <laughs> so I was under a lot of pressure to just give. I mean, Well, maybe anyway. she enjoyed that. Yeah, it was probably a lesson. You, uh, yeah. you mentioned the uh, genuineness of the people, and it made me think of, uh, Wednesday, while we were away on the trip, I sent a report back, a text report back to the church, and uh, we had a, one of our guys here was, was going to read that to the church so they knew what was going on. And, and it made me think, I, I wanted to, to read this. I, I didn't even share all this with, with you, but uh, let me just jump into the middle of the report. I, I said, numbers aside, though they do help tell the story, let me offer you the update in three words. Peace, tears, and spirit. Peace. The peace of Jesus has been our theme since Monday morning. It just keeps coming up. We are praying for his peace always and praying for his peace to come to those we minister to, praying, praying that with them. And in the evening, the team has expressed how much peace they have felt out on the streets. And believe me, there have been some not-so-nice places in people. Watch your step. Don't step there. Don't step in that puddle. That is not rainwater. Um, so peace. Te that wasn't in my report, by the way. Tears. Our team has been overwhelmed by the gratitude expressed by so many of the men and women living in this, on the street. What has been particularly striking are the tears. Every soul matters to God, and to simply show kindness and Christ's love is a powerful witness. To treat human beings like their heart matters, and then be rewarded with their gratitude in shed tears and words of sincere appreciation. We are being very blessed. And then spirit... One of the comments that we've heard from several people on the street is how they see the genuineness of our team. Words like, you all have such a great spirit. I think they were saying that mostly to the ladies. But yeah. 
And I love your smiles. They aren't painted on. They are real. Was it one of you that heard that? Yeah, it was me and Holly. Was that Rocca? No, that was another lady named Lisa. Okay. And, uh, and so that is exactly the spirit of the Lord at work through these earthen vessels. And by the way, that would be a great place to say one of the greatest mission texts in all the Bible is 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and 5. Can't read all of it, but let me read a part of this. Um, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. And I believe that that passage captures so much of the spirit of what a true mission should be. And it's just a great foundational text. If you want to look at, okay, what are we supposed to do when we go on a mission? How is it going to work? I think it, it comes from right there. Well, I know I talked about um, the peace of God. Like I was, you know, nervous about just going up to people, but God gave me peace. But I feel like the peace he gave me caused me to look at the homeless differently, which I think will help me going on from here on out. Just I looked at them as broken and they were trying to find the peace doing things they probably shouldn't do but they just didn't have God like mm-hmm. I did having that peace yes for me it was one of the things we were taught in the training sessions about you're bringing Jesus to the poor but you're also finding Jesus in the poor and so many times I would leave an engagement feeling so full of the Lord just by listening to someone and listening to what they had to say not necessarily that they were offering me anything that was going to help me grow spiritually but just just receiving what they had to offer yeah I think one of the keys that made this trip so successful was the preparation beforehand. You know, yes, we had the team training sessions, but to those that were listening to the training sessions, the the classroom training sessions were good, but they weren't enough. And I really feel that of the 11 of us, the, I mean, we, we were individually engaged. We were individually prepared. So we were better able to receive what the Lord was offering us and moving every day forward. It is why it is so essential to be, why we must be individually prepared each and every day, being mission-minded every day, so that we're prepared to receive what the Lord has for us that day. So the bottom line, I think, of all this, we could talk a long time and go on and on, but the bottom line of all this, I think Romans 8, 6 has been such a, a great help for me, both going, being there, and coming back, encouraging our folks here uh, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And what, what we're hearing, what you experience and what we share in these testimonies is we experienced the life and peace of God because we were spiritually minded. And that's what being mission minded is. It's being focused on the spiritual things, the kingdom of God. And successful mission minded going and, and, and serving is the result of daily mission minded living. And I think that's where we would 
I guess have to wrap it up today because mm-hmm. we're out of time. So uh, it's been good to have a ladies in the Code of Man undisclosed location today. You you all did great. Well, thank you. Thank you. I feel honored. We may do this again sometime. I may come back. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually better than I thought. Yeah, well, not, not as bad. Well, you know what's great about this? Charity has actually now listened to a Code of Man podcast. All right. <laughs> okay, this is one. my third one. Oh, wow. So. Oh, big time. Oh, you've listened before. That's, that's yeah. two more than I thought she had oh. listened to. Yeah, you don't. You, there's a lot you don't know about charity. Got that right. <laughs> Learning new stuff every day. Well, thanks for tuning in this week, and we'll be back next time with some fun stuff, no doubt about it. I think. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> I was trying my best to do that again. Go ahead. <laughs> the heart of a champion